Good morning, everyone. Hope you're enjoying the beautiful sunshine. As many of you know, I am a sunshine junkie. And I don't know why I let the weather affect my mood so much, but it does. But lucky for you and me, today I'm in a really good mood because, hmm, there it is. So thank you, God, for offsetting this. If I could just bottle some of this and save it up for November, it'd be a lot better. Anyway, thanks for being here. It's nice, we, as Bill was saying, uh, it's nice to see you guys clumping up because, hey, we really like to be with each other. And that's what this is about. This is our family time together, and thank you for being part of that today. Uh, hopefully that resonates with you, that, you know, um, family is so important, and some of us, geographically, we get separated, or maybe just in relationship, you know, we, we, we don't have as close a relationship, but we get to come here together on a Sunday, and other times for many of you, and really enjoy the fellowship, like Mr. Mr. Riley back there, he spent some time with him on, on, say he came on Saturday, and all the guys on Saturday morning, we just have this great time to just fellowship together, and so this is part of what we're supposed to do here. We come to be part of this family of God, and hopefully that's one of the reasons why you come too. There's, and we're here to be changed. We're going to talk about that today. Um, can I have the kids so I can give you my sermon introduction? Okay, back away a little bit. This, 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 you don't want to do this at home. No, you're okay. In fact, maybe even sit down so the people behind you, you got to be able to see, plus they got to be able to see. How is everybody today? Yeah, it's sure nice to see you guys. Let me see, I don't think I need that one anymore. As I've told you many times, except you're going to have to tell me your name, guy. Okay, good to have you, because, yeah, I, I don't know that I know you, but everybody else here was part of our Kids Jam group, and it is so, these guys are just amazing. I keep saying that, and hopefully you guys understand that that's true. This is part of our responsibility, right? And their parents have been great teachers of God's Word and bringing God and Jesus into their life, but as a bigger family... We get to be part of that process. Isn't that wonderful how, we, how God brings all these? I mean, I know there's some grandparenty types like me and, and other kids and stuff, and they get to come here and grow in God. Now, we do a lot of water ones, don't we, you guys? Yeah, this is another water one. Um, No, I put that piece of paper on there with the, so it had the, those letters and words. Okay, this is just a glass of water, but for, we're going to say this, this represents you guys, which normally it does, right, when we do this? That's you. Um, sort of it's you. This, this, this is going to be you because right now it's pretty clear, right? It's clear. Hasn't been polluted yet. Now, eventually, this is going to be us, okay? But now... We have a problem. It's called food coloring. No. Okay. Now, 
This is kind of how we start out. And that, because this is, if I wrote a little thing on there, it'd be too small for you to read anyway. But if, let's just say this is sin. How many know what sin is? I know you do it, but you, you understand it. Okay, so that's when we are less than what God wanted us to be when he made us. And sin is when we, it's, a, it's an archery term. How do you know archery? Let go. And when you miss, that's what God's comparing when we're broken and we do things that are wrong. So it gets into us and it starts out like this. And it's in there and every one of us is born and we have this inside of us, this, this sin. But then we get older and we get really good at it. And so... It looks like it's, it, it's, it's, it's does, is it completely covering up the, the water? No, not yet. But it will. At least life stirs us up a little bit. Now what does it look like? Yeah, now that sin's just all the way through us, right? Now, if we were to stay like this all the time, we would be in big, big trouble. But God came and he had a plan. And his plan has a couple parts to it. And the first one, you guys know, in fact, you probably know all of them, but what did God want for us first to do so we could be in relationship with him? What do you guys think? What do you want first? Accept Jesus as our Savior, right? Then because when, when God is over here, if he's holy, if he's holy, like we talked about, holy, 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 that's going to be part of the sermon. He can't be with things that are polluted. So he said, I need to fix this because I love these people, even though they're broken, even though they have sin. I need to fix that relationship. So first, I'm going to pay for all their sins by Jesus Christ dying on the cross. And when I accept Jesus as my Savior, I get to be in, rec in reconciliation with God. I got to be back in the relationship. Okay, so instead of being what, what really has to happen is, and it will happen to those that don't accept Jesus, they get separated from God forever. God says, nope, I want you guys, so I'm going to give you a way back. And so when you accept Jesus Christ, you're back in relationship with God. But then there's more. There's more. He not only wanted to save us, he wanted to make us like him so that our relationship could be even better. Now, that's a churchy word we call sanctification. Now, you don't have to worry about that, but it is being more like Jesus. That's God's second big plan for your life is to start out with this, this thing and make you more like Jesus. Now, Jesus was the clear one without pollution. Okay, so this is what God gives us. I know it's hard to read. Holy Spirit, God's Word, other Christians... In trials, we'll, we'll put our finger over that for now. Okay, I don't like that one. But it's actually pretty effective. So what do we want to have happen? What does God want to have happen? In our, he wants to turn us from being polluted into not being polluted. So into our life when we accept Jesus comes all these things. And so we get the Holy Spirit, and he is going to come inside, and he is going to start to do something. Oh, now it's starting, but maybe we should stir a little more. Oh, my, what's happening? We're being changed back to being clear 
Now, are we completely clear like we were at the beginning? No. No. Because guess what? In this life, you're never going to be completely clear. God will make you clear, though, in the next life. But right now, he's trying to make us more like him. And we get these tools from God, his Holy Spirit, his word, other Christians like us, when we're coming together and everybody's trying to help us grow, and then we get trials, and, and, and God uses trials to help us be more like him. That's what it says in the Bible. Okay, so use the tools that God gave you to be more clear like Jesus, because that is God's will for your life. We're going to see that in our scriptures today, that it's God's will for us to be more like him. All right. Thank you, guys. You're going to learn some more downstairs. Thanks for coming up. Now, that was bleach in that food coloring, so <laughs> I'm going to get it out of here so nobody knocks it over. All right. So Josh is going to read our passage for today. Thank you, Josh. I've been working on this sermon for 25 years. I thought now would be the time to do it. I mean, um, this could be the dictionary definition of overthinking. I probably overthought this, but I really struggle with it for 25 years. Trying to figure out how does God change us. Um, we're going to get into this. I'm going to go through the passage with you. But, but what happened is that this starts out, and, and most of my sermons actually are, um, you know, I like to preach right from God's Word, but there are aspects of it then that become sort of a topical sermon. So mines are kind of hybrid most of the time. <clears throat> but this one... <clears throat> Because I've been struggling with this for so long, uh, this really is a topical sermon about holiness. As I don't know if, I don't know how much foreknowledge um, you have of picking out the song, but when I heard you downstairs when I was in Sunday school singing Holy, 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 I thought, hmm, this is God working again. I, I was saved at age 12, and... I understood pretty clearly what that meant and the process for doing it. I, I, I understood, okay, Jesus came and he died for my sins, and I needed to repent, recognize that Jesus was God and that he was my Lord and Savior, and repent of my sins and make that confession publicly and accept Jesus into my heart. As my Lord and Savior. Man, I think I told you this before. They had a class that you had to go through. Um, I, don't, I don't necessarily 
think you have to go through a class, but they wanted you to clearly understand what it was that you were acknowledging. And so they did. They made it pretty clear. And I think they did the five-finger exercise. If you guys have seen that, maybe I've shared that with you, the hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. And so I went through the five fingers, and I got them all and got up front that next Sunday, and they baptized me and my brother at the same time. Not exactly at the same time. And I'm not sure who went first, but um, at the same service. And I start out reading my Bible. I think I shared you with that. So my brother and I got into a competition for who could read their Bible the fastest. And we would compare notes. Um, but I didn't, have a lot of, I didn't have a lot of questions about my salvation or how I got it or what it really meant. I, I mean, it made pretty, pretty clear sense. And it was pretty easy. And um, I think, Ron, you were saying even yesterday morning, we don't have to know a lot of theology to be saved, right? We just, and sometimes, it's, sometimes we hear theology that's not right, but God can save us anyway, and we get straighten it out later. But then I started reading my Bible, and I started out in the Old Testament and just going right on through, and it seemed like, oh my goodness, this God is mean. And, and there was rules, lots of them. And, and if you didn't follow the rules, man, you're in big trouble because it was this covenant of the law. And if you do this, God says, and I'll do this. And, and if, if you, here's how it works. You do the right thing, you get the blessings. You do the wrong thing, you get the curses. And they're bad. And it just seemed like the pressure was piling up over and over and over again. Like, how can I do this? And then I get to the New Testament, and I'm reading on through, and I see grace, and it's a sound. It's just wonderful. Like, who? Those rules don't apply to me. I've been saved by grace. And then I get to Acts, and I read about Ananias and Sapphira, and I think, man, one more line, I'm dead. <laughs> I can't do this. And Jesus saying, hey, not only can you not do this, you can't even think it. I mean, just thinking it was a sin, doing all these things. I, well, I wouldn't do it, but I, I wasn't so sure about it. I wasn't thinking about doing it sometime. And then I recognized that, you know, in, in different passages, that as I got older and, and started to understand more, you know, that Jesus really, God, had this plan. And it, one of them was, as I told the kids, to bring me back into relationship with him. In order to do that, I had to be saved. And so I'd done that part. But then the other big thing that God had in store for me was that he wanted to transform me back to be more like him. Holy. What's holiness got to do with it? Mm -mm. No clicker. Somebody else going to have to click for me. Okay. Hmm. We're going to get to the holiness part. Let's go through the passage real quick. Because here's the deal. <clears throat> this part being transformed can be really confusing to people. So, so he, what we do is we, if we don't understand it, when you start out and you think, I can't do, I can't do this. It's too hard. And, and, and this, this being like Jesus, 
It's too much. I mean, Paul, so Paul starts out here and he says, and may the Lord make you increase and abound. We talked about that last Sunday, right? Abound, super abound in love for one another as, as we did for you so that, so that he may establish your hearts or strengthen your hearts in blameless, in blameless in holiness before God the Father, and at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Okay, so Paul, is, this is a prayer. This is the last two parts of his prayer for the church at Thessalonica. I want God to make you abound in love for one another, agape love, for, for not only for each other, but for everybody. And we talked about that last week. That was God's kind of dipstick, his measuring rod. How, how are you doing in this next step, in next phase, after I saved you to being transformed? Here is how you check. Because all the law and all the prophets really are based on this. When you love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you love others as yourself, even your enemies, I can tell you're more like me because that's me. That's what God says. That's me. And this agape love that's coming through you, that came from me in my Holy Spirit. And it's, as it's traveling out from you, through, through you, and out to other people, I can see that the transformation process is happening because, God says, I want to present you blameless and holy at the very end. In fact, we're going to see that in, in, in the one that Josh has been putting up here at the end of the service for, for weeks now, that, that may God sanctify you completely and present you holy and blameless. At the end, and the one who called you is faithful, he's going to do it. So I, I see that. I see Paul praying that. And, and then he goes on, and then in 1 Thessalonians 4, 1, finally then, brothers, now here's Paul. He's saying, look, I prayed this for you, that you are going to continue to be transformed, and here's the evidence. You're going to love one another with agape love, God love, because if, if it's God love, it only can be coming from one place. That's God. And so finally, brothers, we urge you and ask you, and urge, urge means like really with a lot of, a lot of emphasis, I'm, I'm telling you this and I really, really want you to get it. I'm urging you, the Greek word is saying, you know, just in, exhort you to do this, that as you receive from us how you ought to walk, and that walk is like trampling around in, living in, being part of, we call it the Christian walk. And it's hard, right? But he's saying, look, we showed you and told you. And when you, it says receive from us, that means example and in words, right? So he said, we showed you how God wants you to be. After God saved you, this is a letter to Christians who've already accepted Jesus. But now God wants for you to walk the Christian walk. So as you trample, tramp around inside this world of Christianity so that you can please God just as you are doing and that I want you to do so even more. And so he's telling them, this is now where you're at. You, you're, you're saved, but now you're in this process of being transformed for you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus that this is the will of God for you. Your sanctification. And sanctification is that process. We're going to look at the words in a second. The process of becoming more holy. And it's a process. And it's something that God is doing in you so that he can present you blameless. Now, 
There, we're going to talk about positional holiness and practical holiness. Because we're going to see, and at the end, because you are covered by the righteousness of Christ, you are going to be presented completely holy and spotless as if you had never sinned. Not that you didn't, and not that God didn't notice. But because of the righteousness of Christ, which is, is being imputed to you, you borrow and wear like a coat. Positionally, as God's looking at you, he's, that's what he sees. Even though he knows you're sinning, but, but he's going to present you. So, there, so there's a positional righteousness, but, but we're trying to get the two of those to match up as much as possible now. God says, we're going to see. What does he say? As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it's written, you should be holy, for I am holy. Now, for you that might be like me, and who was trying to do this on his own effort, this should scare you to death. Really? I got to be like God? I got to be like God now to make it? On your own, this is impossible, see? That's impossible. So, we look, we look at this process, and if we don't understand it, I think it can be a real detriment to allowing God to change you. This process of being holy like I am holy. So I, I think we ask ourselves three questions about holiness and sanctification, and, 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 which is really a changed heart and mind and behavior, and it goes like that first. It changes your heart, then it changes your thinking, and then flowing from that comes behavior that's more like Jesus, and that's this process that I'm on. So i got to say, okay, what is it? What is sanctification? What's it look like? Why? Why should I do it? Does it really matter? And then how? how? How does it work? How is it achieved? How is God working in me? What, what, what does God do? What do I do? That's the thing I struggled with for the last 25 years, to get to this point, to try to understand, what do I do? What does God do? There, there's parts to play in both of them. Now, recognize that this is God working in us. So the, God is saying, I will do this, this you know. Says that, right? Um, he who began, Philippians 1 6, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Lord Jesus Christ. I know it's not me, and, and that God is going to have his way. That, that was the, the positional versus the practical. See that, <clears throat> I don't know if it, yeah. I talked about this a little bit yesterday at men's breakfast, <clears throat> probably in my prayer. As far as God's concerned, he lives outside of time. He's looking at me perfect. Because God eventually is going to have his way with you. He'll, he'll kill you to do it, though. <clears throat> He's killing you now, but eventually, in order to rid you of all your sin, you have to get rid of the body. 
So in God's economy, where he sees the end from the beginning, he's already looking at Tim Henley completely restored, with no more sin, living with him in the new heaven and the new earth for eternity. I'm already there. You see, and there's nothing, according to Scripture, there is nothing that anybody can do to stop that conclusion from happening. Not even me. Certainly not you. See, that's what's waiting for me. That's this inheritance that we talk about in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 7, that's waiting for me, and I know for a fact nothing can stop that from happening. Once the process got to the point where the Holy Spirit came and changed my heart and mind and opened my eyes to the message of the gospel and I accepted Jesus Christ, that was my end. That's the end game for me. I know that. I am absolutely confident of that. And if you've accepted Jesus Christ, you should be confident of that same fact as well. That in the end, God's worked it all out and there's no possible way that can ever be taken from you. So my problem is really merely one of time. While I'm here tromping around in this life, in this phase of my existence, I've been saved, and now there's this period of time when God is trying to perfect me to be like Him more for His glory and my good. But we get it wrong. We get it wrong, and it becomes something else. So if you've ever been really frustrated about your Christian walk, if you've ever been dejected and felt shame or felt just, I can't do this, God, it's too hard, or you just even worse think, well, I've been saved by grace, I get that, it doesn't matter how I live, I can just do whatever I want because I, my, my inheritance is already secured. Or, or ah, this one's bad too, where you think, <clears throat> yeah, by golly, I'm pretty good at this. In fact, and I think my job really, by God, is to become part of the sin police. And I think I see some in your life, and I'm going to confront you about it. And I see the world out there, and man, God hates them. Look at how crappy they live. And you become the Pharisee and the self-righteous. If any one of those three describes your walk, you're going to have problems with it because you're looking at it the wrong way. Now, I'm going to say I'm exempt from the last one. I, didn't, I don't think I've done that one, but I've done the other two. It's like, okay, God, this is just too hard. Fine, I'm not even going to try anymore because there's no way I can live up to your standard. I've got to be like you, be holy as I am holy. Good luck with that, Tim. Um, so fine, too much, I'm done. Not that I, you know, you know, licensed to sin. It wasn't that. But I had a hard time with that. And the other one, this was where I really stumbled, trying to do it on my own steam, right? God, thank you so much for saving me. But now I got this. I see the rules. I'm pretty good. I'm a really driving personality. I'm, you know, results-oriented. <clears throat> it's going to take a little work, but I can do this. I can be good, God. I can, I can measure up. Boy, don't be like that. So let's understand these, the real answers to these questions in the bigger picture. None of those things 
are right. The free grace, it doesn't matter how, how I live. The Bible very clearly tells us that that's not right. And in fact, why would I want to? We're going to see that in a minute. Why would I even want to do that? I, I can't imagine a true believer saying, oh, wow, yeah, I'm saved now. Let's just go sin because God's forgiven them all anyway. Really? If your Holy Spirit is in there, he's, he's, he's convicting you every time you do that. And it's not going to feel good. And, and God's going to discipline you. And we're going to look at those things. And then... Again, me, the God saved me, so now I think I can handle the whole fixing me part with your help. A little bit of help, God, uh, a little bit of help here, but I think I can do this. And then you try and you fail and you try and you fail and you try and you fail and then you just fake it because it's too frustrating. And then the, end, the other one, the pharisaical one, that's the one you don't want to do, where, where, but we see it. You know, people standing out and on street corners say, you're all sinners and you're going to hell. Or, or just digging out, looking for sin in other people's life, not never mind, but yours, because I'm doing pretty good on mine, and trying to root it out, and, and you know, God hates sin, and you got some. How we watched, I should say, this Waltons, Carol and I watched the Waltons before we go to bed, and um, they had a preacher, the old Southern Baptist revival preacher, and man, he was like, and God is going to send you all to hell if you don't straighten up. I thought, do they really say that? I mean, come on, where's the love? But, but we see that Pharisee attitude sometimes, maybe in ourselves, but in others, and we that's not. That's not how this works, folks. That's this. God wants you for you, for your good and his glory, for you to be more like him because he knows that's where you're going to find the abundant life. Now, do we need to feel some guilt for our sin? Yeah, we do. Okay, so I said this. I'm going to get my... Boy, I've got to really stick to my notes on this one because um, there's so many thoughts that go through my... Because I've been thinking about this for 25 years. We don't want to be any of those three. So I, I would say this, and I said this, and I, I had a sermon that was probably longer than the amount of time I was allotted when I went up to Skykomish one time. And so I, I say this, and then I, I, I make sure that I qualify it later because it sort of sounds right. Because I said this, God has no problem with your sin. I mean, you know, and it was, I say that as a, you know, to shock people, right? What do you mean God has no problem with my sin? What do you mean? So I got to be sure I give you the explanation because I got into the sermon and I forgot to explain it. <laughs> I think some people were offended. <laughs> God has no problem with your sin because he fixed it. it. It was a problem, but he had a solution. And so when I say God has no problem with your sin, it's only because he has a solution for it. So, Southern Baptist... God hates sin. Yes, he does. He does. He hates sin, and, it, and it's so bad. It is so bad. God himself had to die to fix it. That's how bad it is. Anything that's less than God, like that, in his standard, is sin. I mean, and, and we're going to talk about that. But God hates sin so much that he... And it was so... Bad, and it was such a crisis that he had to die to fix it. Sin is so bad that it's going to separate human beings from God for eternity. 
in a place that is so bad you can't imagine it. That's how bad sin is. So I don't want to give you an idea that sin is not, just we can just, oh, it's just, well, just, that's nah, no big deal. No big deal. It, it, it's a big, big deal. For God, because it's less than God. For us, because it separates us in our practical sense from God. But God has a solution. He says, I want you to be holy. I want you to be saved. So, so I'm, going to, I'm going to fix that. But what is then the sanctification? Well, it's kind of interesting if you look at three words, holy, holiness, and sanctification. Holy is the word hagios in the Greek, and it means to be morally blameless, sacred, and pure. Holiness, holiness is hagiosone, I hate this, hagiosone. Same, same root, haggy, which means the process of becoming or, or, or the event of sacredness. And then sanctification, which is hagiesmos, is the process of purification. So they're all related. Holiness and sanctification is, is a pathway where we start out reconciled to God, but, but really, really broken and sinful, and God starts to change us. And that, and that was my problem as I started reading the Bible, and I'm a new Christian. It's like, I think i got to be there already. And I feel all this guilt, and I feel overwhelmed by the pressure of it. But no, God says, Tim, um, especially with you, maybe, um, this is a process. It's probably going to take some time with you. And I, we talked about that a couple weeks ago. My pathway to getting anywhere with God was so hard because I was so stubborn and strong-willed to do things my own way. But God's relentless. He's going to have his way with you. But, it, but, but it, that sanctification is a process. Positionally, you're already holy because of what Jesus did. But on a practical basis, day to day, yeah, God sees your sin. It's not good. It's not good for you. Now, is it? Let's talk about it. <clears throat> Holiness is necessary, just like I said. The why. The why question. Why should I be holy? Why should I try to change? Why should I be transformed? Because it's necessary for a relationship with God. Now, God made you positionally of available by accepting Jesus Christ, right? Okay, so now you're covered with this righteousness of Jesus. He looks at you, and he can now have a relationship with you and you with him. But on a practical basis, when I sin, my sin is separating me because I move away from God, and it, it affects our relationship because holiness, I don't know that we really understand. Holiness, if we could just see... If you could see God now in this state, it would kill you. I mean, we could see him through his Holy Spirit. and have, We saw him through his son, those that were alive when Jesus walked the earth. But the Bible says no, one can, no man can see God and live because his holiness would slay you. That is how absolute... It, it isn't even I act right. I am right. I am pure. I am the crystal, crystal clear water. So when things came up that were unholy, it appears to me from Scripture that God only has three options. 
that he gives himself. When this unholiness happens in, in my presence, I have to either fix it, I have to destroy it, or I have to banish it from my presence. It doesn't seem from Scripture that there's any other options for that. And so we happen to be able to take care of the, or, or, or take advantage of the, hey, I'm going to fix it. You are unholy. You were unholy when you were born. I either got to fix you, destroy you, or banish you from my presence. And so I had this solution to fix you and give you the holiness you need to have relationship with me. In this life, good. In the next life, when you're completely fixed, much better, more, more intimacy. But I am going to provide that because holiness is necessary for relationship with God. You have to borrow it in this life from Jesus as God slowly and sometimes really slowly when you don't cooperate is transforming you back. So why? Why? Because I want relationship with God. Because I, I need it. And so we have these two outcomes, right? You got the, the people covered by Jesus, and their outcome is they get reconciled back to God, they get partially restored now, and in the eternity they get fully restored with a relationship that's very intimate with God. The other option is those not covered by Jesus, they're allowed to exist now, they don't get reconciled, they don't get restored, and they're banished from God's presence for eternity. Which side do you want to be on? Um, this side, which reconciles you, also includes fixing you. That's God's will. We saw it today. My will for you is your sanctification. So here we are walking through this life trying to figure out how can I help cooperate with God as he changes me back to my original design. <clears throat> Does it matter how I live? Oops. This is the free grace one, and, and, and this is people saying, I'm saved by grace, then why shouldn't I just have fun? What should we say then? Are we going to continue in sin that grace may abound? Because it says where grace, where sin is, then God's grace applies. By no means, says Paul in Romans 6, 1 through 3. How can we, who died to sin, when we, it says in, in the scripture, when you accept Christ, you Share in his crucifixion, that you died. The old you dies, and the new you is there. So how can we who've been died to sin want to live in sin? Do you not know that all who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were also baptized into his death? Don't you know that? The death... Ooh. Hmm. There was more. But he goes on to say, you know, should we, should, should we just sin more so that grace will abound? No, no. Paul says, may it, may it never be. You guys don't understand. <clears throat> and let me, under, let me show you why. Here are what practical righteousness do for you. It pleases and glorifies God. Is that not something, as someone who's been saved from eternal damnation and given eternal life, should that not be what we want? 
If we just say, well, I can just live however I want. I'm saved by grace. It doesn't matter. God's forgiven all my sins, past, present, and future. Why don't I just succumb to my carnal desires and live? Because in the end, I'm saved anyway. Really? Once again, I, I don't understand anyone who could think like that. Although it is called the free grace thing. It's a thing in Christianity. And it is a result of trying to do it in the flesh too long and figuring out you'll never make it. So, hey, let's just give up and say... Doesn't matter. Practical holiness or sanctification gives you the ability to experience the most abundant life you can have now. Without it, you're going to be wallowing around in your sin. God wants transformation for you, for you, not from you. Holiness, not from you, but for you, because he knows now that you've been given this new heart and new mind, the only place you're going to find true joy and satisfaction is when you're doing it his way. And so he gives you the gift of sanctification, and sometimes it hurts because the old you has to die. But when you see the transformation in your life, it can give you confidence in your own salvation. And I know that's scriptural. It's, how do I know I'm saved? Well, look, I'm working in your life. If you weren't saved, there's no chance I would be. And so we look at this transformation. I can look back and say, it wasn't pretty, God, and it wasn't smooth, and it, didn't have, it had a bunch of turns and twists in it. But I can look back and see, yes, you've made me a different person now than I was before, and that gives me faith in my salvation to know that God is in there working. It decreases the need for God to discipline me when I cooperate with His Holy Spirit in changing me. Because that's one of the things that God does. It says in Hebrews, hey, God disciplines those He loves. And so if you see God's discipline in your life, it, it is God's loving hand giving you urgings and re doing your pathway so that you'll end up back where he knows you need to be for your own good and his glory. Succumbing to God's transforming power in your life means God doesn't have to discipline you quite as much like he did me. It provides true satisfaction. It allows God to use you more effectively when you do his will. And it creates the ability for you to agape Love God and other people. So if you say, well, why should I be transformed? That's why. All of those reasons. It's all about God doing it, but it is for you. Transformation is, your, is a gift from God to you. But as we look at it incorrectly, let me share some other things for, with you. <clears throat> I get saved... It wasn't because I was changing my behavior. Christianity is not moralism. The point of Christianity is not just to act better. It's not to make people be nicer. That's a result, hopefully. But it didn't save you. This is not working your way to God by being transformed. No, you are only being transformed because God has already worked his way to you. Okay, so it doesn't save you. It doesn't make God love you more. Okay, God, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing too well on being transformed. Oh, man, I missed. You just, I, how can you even love me? 
He saw every sin you were going to commit before you did it, before He chose you, before He sanctified you, before He saved you. Not an excuse to sin, but I don't look at my sanctification pathway and say, oh man, God must be really disappointed in me. How could He have ever chosen me? What a loser. That's not the point of it. It's not the, the point is not to look at it and say, boy, I'm really frustrated because I'm not making much progress, so I know God must be disappointed in me. As the polls went out and they were asking people about this, that was the number one answer. Who do you think God thinks of you? This is to Christians. The number one answer was, man, he must really be disappointed. That's not the point of sanctification. It is impossible for God to be disappointed with you because disappointment means I didn't see it coming. I was expecting a different outcome. He saw your outcome. He loved you and, and saved you anyway, and he's changing you. That's not why we're doing it, so we don't disappoint God. It's not going to keep you from going through trials. If I, Oh, if I'm just better, then nothing bad was going to happen in my life. No, that is not true. Don't think that. I thought that. I thought, God, why? I, I, I'm sacrificing so much to serve you, and still, my life is a mess. Ah, Tim, 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 Tim. I didn't promise you that. I promised you the exact opposite. I love you so much that I'm going to bring trials into your life because those are much more effective than blessings for you. If you think somehow if I can just act right and be transformed that God's going to quit bringing trials into your life, you're wrong. I'm sorry, but you're wrong. But it does keep you from experiencing God's wrath. That's for the non-believer. And it does not provide your value or your worth to God. Okay, God, you saved me, but man, I, I know you're disappointed, and so, man, I'm, I'm like down here in the Christian pecking order. Not true. If you're struggling and you're going through a time when you're succumbing to temptation, God still loves you. He still values you. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. There's nothing you can do to make God love you less. That's not the reason why we want to cooperate with God's plan to change us. But what does God plan really do? It helps us to become more like him. If we look at the other side, we see that unholiness in our life robs us of peace and joy and fulfillment. It interrupts our practical relationship with God as we move away from Him. It calls down God's discipline. It displeases God and doesn't glorify Him. It provides false and counterfeit satisfaction and gratification as we give in to our carnal nature. It impedes the transformation process and it keeps us from seeing and doing God's will. Why would anybody want that? And so God has given us an alternative, and that is, I'm not going to just save you. I'm going to save you and then change you. Holiness is something that God wants for you, not from you. It's the result of transformation, not the cause. It is produced by surrendering the fleshly part of yourself and operating in the power of God's Holy Spirit not by self-determination or fleshly effort. 
It can't be achieved in your own power, for that is just self-righteousness. So how? The how question. Achieving holiness. God is working in you, and you need to get you out of the way. I have four steps, and I don't say that these are comprehensive, but I think it's a good start. You guys wonder why I constantly and probably ad nauseum to some of you quote Romans 12, 1 and 2. It's because for the last 25 years I have struggled with this question of holiness in my life or lack of it. I'm looking for the answer. What does God do? What do I do? I see that God's saying, hey, the one who's called you is faithful, he will do it. And I know that's God working in me and that it's his will for my sanctification and that I have to do it in his power. It says, hey, walking, here's walking in the flesh, what it looks like. Here's walking in the spirit. This is what it looks like and what it leads to. Clear in Romans. Okay, God, but what do I do? Flee from sin. And then I beseech you, brothers, therefore, in view of God's mercy, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which costs you everything you were. It means putting the old you on the altar of sacrifice and God, would you kill me? Every day, I'm, for me, it's every day, sometimes multiple times a day as my flesh rears its ugly head. And that's a full-time battle going on, folks. That's a full-time, what do I do to be transformed? I have to resist the old me and put it on the altar, and I see its effects. I see its carnal thinking and its carnal wants and, and the temptations that I give into, and I see the effect of it, and I have to recognize that and say, that's the old me. I want it gone. God, kill it. We have to put the old us on the altar of sacrifice every day, all day. Then Romans 12, 2. So no longer be conformed to the pattern of this world, which is what? The old me. Don't be conformed to the old you, Tim. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I am going to start the transformation process first by giving you a new heart, but then by completely rewiring how you look at things. How am I supposed to look at things? Ha! I wrote it down. And I gave it to you. It's called my holy word. And it tells you the things I don't like so you can recognize them in your own life and confess them And repent so that I can continue to steer you towards holiness. So I have to put myself on the altar. I have to be transformed by the renewing of my mind, which means I spend time listening to stuff like this. I spend time in the Word. I spend time in prayer. I spend time around other Christians so that my way of looking at the world and thinking is transformed. And when I blow it, I keep short accounts with God. 1 John 1, 9. 
if we confess our sins. He's faithful to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If I have had issues, keep short accounts with God. Well, don't you want to be cleansed? He says, I will cleanse you. Now, positionally, I'm already perfect. Practically, no. And so i got to look at those things where I'm allowing the flesh to take control and I'm and submitting myself to that and I'm giving in to the temptation and I need to acknowledge it. I need to compare it against the standard that God gives me in His Word and then I need to re repent of it and confess it to God so He can cleanse me on a practical basis from the sin that still exists in my life. And then lastly, I have to have faith. In Hebrews, it tells us, without faith it's impossible to please God. And faith in particular, in this area, you have to, in faith, completely buy into the idea that being transformed after you've been saved is the most important thing you can be involved with. It has to be priority one. Because as you're transformed, you think, well, no, 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 God, my, my biggest should be just obeying you, and, and, and my biggest priority should be sharing your word with others, and my biggest priority should be loving God and love others. Try doing any of that without being transformed. God saved me, now he wants to fix me, and all of those other things can follow and so in faith, if I say, God, I am a work in progress and what I really need to do is surrender to you so that you can fix me and all these other things that you want from me will happen. The changed behaviors, the new thinking, the loving others, the loving my enemies, the serving you, the sharing you with others. That's an effect of being changed. God wants us to be different. God wants us to be like Him. He's given us the directions. He's given us the tools. If only we will get ourselves out of the way and allow God to fix us. And I believe it requires those four things. Let's pray. Dear Father, we are so grateful. I'm so grateful to be your child. I know the rest of your children are too. And that it was nothing of my own doing. It was all from you. And Lord, help me to avoid the pitfalls as we go through the transformation process of thinking that it doesn't matter or thinking that I can do it on my own or thinking that I'm already so good I can judge others. And just understand that this is a gift from you and embrace it and enjoy it and allow you to make us more like your son. And this I ask and thank you in advance for how you're going to do it. In the name of your son, our precious Savior, Jesus Christ, amen.